Turn with me to Genesis chapter 8. We've been talking about giving, been talking about offerings, been talking about tithes, so on and so forth. Why am I doing this? Why, why are uh, either I or Brian uh, doing a teaching on giving? Number one, it's because God's told us to do it. He's told me to do it. He's given me a direction to, to, that I should be doing this. Actually, I've supposed to have been doing it all the way along. I'm the one who was, I wouldn't call disobedient. I wouldn't just say that. I, slacker, maybe. I might accept that. You, you know, it's, it's a good thing you love me. I know you love me. I know. And, but it's, the reason is, like, you know, they know this stuff. They know, why, why you know, I don't want to just beat a dead horse, you know. And we, but, but... If God says we should be doing something, we should do it then, right? Amen. So that's why we're doing it. We're keeping it to about three to five minutes, giving a, a quick teaching on giving, how, why do we do it. But here's the really important reason why we do it. The really important reason why we do it is we want to give on purpose. We don't want to give because it's habit. We don't want to give because, well, okay, here comes the offering plate. I better throw something in. We want to give the way God wants us to give according to Scripture, not according to, to habit, not according to history, not according to tradition, not according to whatever. Even fear. People give sometimes out of fear. We don't want to do that. We want to do it on purpose. But we want to know through the Bible, why did they do this? Why, when did this start? Was it only when the temple was being built? Was it only when the temple was running? No. From the very beginning, man gave offerings unto God. And at the beginning, it was always animals. He would, God, you know, God had a, uh, the, the, apparently the plan was that to show the right kind of honor to God in an offering was to, to sacrifice one of your animals. And later on, they codified it. God codified it to say, this is the kind of animal that I want. It wants to, be, it needs to be a certain kind of animal. It needs to be a certain way, so on and so forth. But even before the law, people were doing this thing. Uh, Genesis chapter 8, beginning with verse 20 the, uh, this is the account of Noah and the ark, and Noah had just gotten off of the ark. The, the land had finally dried up, and they were able to get off. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on it. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time, harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, great, night and day shall not cease. So God uh, looks at this offering. Noah kills uh, a number of the animals. Stop there for a second. Because why is that so significant? Well, number one, the guy just got going, you know, just went through watching every living thing outside of the ark killed, destroyed, drowned. People, animals, the whole nine yards. He just watched the destruction of the earth. God told him to take only so much with him. Only certain kinds of animals. Clean animals, unclean. He brought cats. Those are the unclean animals. That the, one of the unclean animals that he said to bring in. But he said to bring these things. And then what does he do as soon as he gets off the ark? Well, what are clean? What's clean animals? Those are the kind they can eat. Those are the kind that they can eat and, and uh, so on and so forth. And so he said uh, as soon as he gets off the ark... He says, or Noah in his heart decides to kill a bunch of them. 
He killed some of all the clean animals. I mean, think about this. You only have so much food. There's only so much left. Everything's restarting. What if I don't have enough? And if I'm killing off my seed, the seed of these animals, what happens if they go extinct? Well, God had a plan. God had it figured out ahead of time. He wasn't worried about that. Isn't that interesting? If it's the same fear that can come on human beings today, is if I give this away, what does God need my, my offering for anyway? What does he need my money for? If he owns the, the cattle on a thousand, year, on the thousand hills and, and he owns everything and everything is his, what does he need my offering for? He doesn't need it. But what he's doing is it's, it's our heart uh, expression to God that number one, we're honoring him. What's, what's Noah doing here? He's honoring God going, you are the God of all the universe. That's what the rest of the world wasn't doing. That's why they were destroyed, because they weren't acknowledging God. And they weren't acknowledging God anywhere in their life. And Noah chooses to acknowledge God with his resources. Here's, here's who I am. Here's what I have. God, I'm going to give, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you that you can supply my needs even if I kill these animals and honor you with a sacrifice. It's a trust thing. It's, a, it's an honoring thing. So when we give, we have the same thing. We have a limited amount of resources. Every one of us has a limited amount of resources. We're not you know, limitless. We're not you know, boundless in our, in, our, in our finances. The difference is, is who do you trust? Do you trust that God's going to take care of you no matter what you do? Or are you going to trust that your pocketbook is going to have just enough money to make you through all the way to the end? Well, according to the world situation right now, good luck on the second one. And this isn't a fear thing. This is just a wisdom thing. Noah chooses to, to believe that God is going to take care of him no matter what. God, I want to honor you with this. And it says that God looked at that offering, was pleased, and made a promise, I'll never do this again. So, as we give, 21st century Christians, as we give this morning, give with that heart attitude. Not, not a fear attitude, well, gee, I better not kill the doves. You know, I mean, I, was, I wasn't really planning on eating any of the doves anyway. There's not much meat on them, just a little bit of... But he just, he took what he had, he took of, of what he, the resources he had, and he trusted God with a portion of it. And it was pleasing unto God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that as we give this morning, it's not out of fear. It's not out, you know, not because we're even being coerced to do it. Lord, we're doing this because we see this pattern. We see that, that you've shown us a way to live our lives, and we want to honor you with that, with that gesture. So, Father, as we give this morning, I pray that every gift, every giver is extremely blessed in everything that they do. In Jesus' name, amen. And as the, uh, the offering is going around this morning, we're really going to, have, I have three things that the Lord has put on my heart for today. Um, two of them, obviously, were some things that, that he had put on my heart this week, and I know we need to talk about it. I want to deal with some things. I had said last week we're not going to do, um, talk about uh, doctrine today, per se, but we're going to talk about some other things. There's two things we need to talk about. 
so that as kind of a housekeeping deal, so kind of a kind of a everybody, so everybody's on the same page. They understand where things are, why things are the way they are, what we're doing, and so on and so forth. And then the other, uh, there's a third thing that the Lord put on my heart this morning, very strongly. I tried to actually write, you know, do a, a sermon based around the two things during the week, and got a eh, don't even try. Don't even try. Just, I mean, it was so clear that I wasn't supposed to do anything. I was supposed to just share some verses and, and, and uh, go along the, the direction that he's leading. And so uh, we're going to move along quickly because at the end, I believe we're going to have some opportunity to do some, some uh, well, you'll see. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. The book of Acts, we're going to actually be going back to Acts chapter 1 in just a moment here. But uh, Acts chapter 4, the, the, the church is just beginning. The church is just starting out. The church in Jerusalem and things are starting to happen and, and uh, there's, there's growth already. Uh, the church even explodes from, from 120 in an upper room to uh, 5,000 saved on the first sermon. Man, that's a, that's a pretty good uh, yield on a sermon. And uh, they're starting to do some things, but all of a sudden Peter and John, two of the leaders, get attacked. And uh, um, they get attacked for what they're believing, and, and they get thrown in prison. And the believers, the, the church, uh, goes to bat for them. Now, how do they go to bat? Do they, do they, do they storm the jail? Do they, uh, do they run on the, uh, the, the leadership of the, of the Jewish tribunal? Do they go against the Romans? No. They, go, they lock themselves in a room and start praying. They start, they start storming heaven is what they start doing. And uh, things start happening. Miracles start happening at a greater and greater pace. And uh, they pray for boldness, and we'll talk about that here in just a moment, just a, just a little bit. But Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 32, here's why you bring your Bible. You never know when we're just going to dig in, there's going to be no PowerPoint, no nothing. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that... that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common and with great power the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the lord jesus and great grace was upon them all there was not a needy person among them for as many as there were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the feet at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed <clears throat> to each as they had need. So, here's the one of the verses that we used years ago when talking about our vision, uh, doing what God's called us to do here at River Valley. Uh, that they all had everything in common, and uh, talking about how the the believers, they, everything that they had was not just their own, but it was everybody's. Whatever need there was, they helped each other through that time of need. And this week, we have an opportunity to help somebody who's in need. And it's an exciting opportunity. How many of you have been here long enough to know who Pastor Luis and Marta Chacon are? Uh, have been, we've been helping them out. They're a church on the <clears throat> that have been located on the east side. 
for a number of years. They minister uh, primarily to the Hispanic community of uh, East St. Paul. Uh, been good friends of ours, wonderful friends. We've done uh, services together. We've we've done fellowship together. We've done had had parties together. Good people. We've helped them out. They've helped us out. Where they've been a, a real blessing. He gave me a call last week at four o'clock in the afternoon. Their their service is at four thirty in a church uh, over on the uh, the east side. And I received a phone call, and he said, uh, Pastor John, I can't do his accent. Sorry, I wished I could do that for you, but. He goes, I have, I have a question for you. He says, I just got here to our church to, uh, to, you know, to start setting up for our service. They use a, a church over there uh, after the other church is done uh, in the early evening, late evening. And he says, I just got here and someone met me at the door and said tonight was our last night in this church. And, I was, and he goes, I'm wondering, is there any way that we could borrow your church next Sunday to meet in just so that I have a place to tell my people where we can meet next week. And I said, absolutely, yes, please do, come. So they're actually going to come and have service here this afternoon from, uh, from 1 until 3.30. And then we have Bible school starting at 4, so it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun, uh, doing a quick switch over and get everything moved. But they're going to be here. They're going to start coming about noon to start setting up. And we've got some folks who are, are going to hang out and help them get, get acclimated to the sound booth and the music and the children's rooms and all that kind of stuff. And, but they don't have a place to go right now. Now, here's the deal. They don't know. Uh, he doesn't know if his people will want to drive this far long range. We don't know. So what we've agreed to do is for that, I said, just to ease your mind, just so that you don't have to, you know, this is not a rush thing. I said, for the next four weeks, just assume you're here. Go ahead and use our facility for four weeks. Find out if it's something, because we actually tried to do this about four years ago. We actually offered, uh, when they were looking for a place, offered for them to, to come here and to use our, our sanctuary on the Sunday, our Sunday afternoons. And here's the deal, it's not because we have to. You know, we're not trying to meet the bills, really. You know, this isn't a, uh, it, you know, it'll, it'll be a blessing to us only from the aspect of that we're helping a brother in Christ. We're helping a, a church in Christ. We don't have to do this. We don't have to, we, we've had all kinds of people want to rent our building for all kinds of things, daycares and preschools and everything else, and we always go, nah, that's not what we do here. We're not, it's not about money. What it is, is is it's an opportunity to be a blessing. And so they're going to come. Now here's the deal. If you've ever had anybody come in and move into your house for a period of time, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, she said it's kind of like fish. After seven days, they got to go. Actually, it's about three, but that's. Uh, but it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be just seamless and no problem. I mean, you know, there there will be opportunities to go. Hey, wait a second, this didn't get put back, so on and so forth. Hey, life is life. We we're here for family. Family, you do whatever you need to to help out, and, there, and we want to be a blessing to them. So I want to give you guys a head a heads up because. Almost all of you work in other ministries. You work in the children's ministry, in the usher, in the music. Stuff's going to be moved. Some stuff's not going to be put back the way we expected it. Just to give you a heads up, this is the way it is. But what's even more important, what's even more important is we're helping out. We're being a blessing to someone. Uh, they said, well, how much, how much can we pay you for rent? And I said, you're not paying us anything for rent right now. 
You know, for the next four weeks, don't worry about that. If they stay long-term, we'll work that part out. That, that, that'll, we'll deal with that at that point. For the next four weeks, there are our guests, and we want to be a blessing to them. So they're going to be here today. So if you see some folks coming in with uh, stuff, help them out. See, that's one way we as a congregation, you know, can welcome them. Because it's one thing to, to let them use our facility, but if they use it and they don't feel welcome... You know, have you ever been gone to somebody's house where you go and, and they, they put you up in their bedroom, but they say, don't, 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 don't hang your clothes here. Don't, don't put your stuff over there or, you know, okay, I won't do anything, you know. I, one night, I, I stayed in a pastor's house in Switzerland uh, one night, and, and, or for a week actually, and I was in his, he put me up in his child's bedroom. <laughs> and I was put on his child's bed. <laughs> which had two major flaws with being a child's bed. One was length. I was hanging off both ends and both sides. And number two, it was not built for someone of my... Thank you, you're so generous. I was waiting for almost anything to be filled in there. Now here's the deal. That was the best he had. That for them, it wasn't that he was trying to be, he, he, that was, that's what they had. They had a room with a bed. Pastor, would you please, they moved their child out into their room. Wow. <laughs> Praise God. The thing is, in the middle of the night, the bed which is not made for my, okay, in the middle of the night, I get woken up to a shotgun going off. Pow! <laughs> I wake up, what was that? Finally get settled back down, just fall asleep. What the heck? Then pow, pow, pow. And now I'm awake and I hear this. It sounds like a shotgun going off in my room. And I'm on the floor underneath. I'd gone through the bed, okay? The bed had slats on it that started to bend. And when, it, when, it, when one side let go, it, was, it slapped on the floor and it sounded like a shotgun going off. So now I'm laying in this trough in the bed. So, I turn the light on, I pull the mattress off, I put all the slats back on, put the bed back down, and I lay down just gently. Which is great until you actually fall asleep, and then you do whatever you do when you fall asleep. Pow, pow, pow! This is for a second time. I go through the bed that night. So then I just pulled the bed off, put it on the floor, and slept on the floor for the rest of the night, which is way more comfortable. So the next morning, I go downstairs, and we're all sitting around the breakfast table, and the pastor is like this, he goes... Pastor John, did you break my child's bed? (laughs) Yeah, I did. I I went right through it. And he starts laughing. He says, we're laying in bed last night and we hear what sounds like gunshots from your room. (laughs) And we knew exactly what it was and we laid it. We laughed all night long. He says, yeah, bless you too. Thank you so much. So you let somebody stay in your house, stuff happens, right? We want to be a blessing. We want them to feel welcome. Even through all of that, I felt welcome in their home. So he goes out that next day and buys the most industrial-sized frame he he could find, which, I mean, you could park cars on it. And I was, the rest of the week, I slept just fine. But we want to make them feel welcome, help them out, be a blessing, smile, welcome them here. Talk to them. If you can't understand what they're saying because they're speaking Spanish, it's okay. 
Some of them don't speak English. Be a blessing to them. Welcome. I want them to feel so welcome that they don't want to leave. That's really what our heart is, is to be a blessing to them. And, and, and if, the, if God would want them to be here, man, how great would that be? How awesome would that be? And we'll work out the logistics. If, but if we can be a blessing, that's what we want to be. Amen? Amen. So that's the first thing. Uh, so that is, they're going to be coming starting this afternoon. And the school, we've already worked it out with the school. Uh, they're going to help set up for the school. And there's, I know the weeks that we have where the school meets earlier, there's a couple of weeks where that happens. We've already worked that out with Myrna and Raj. And so that, just so you know, everything is taken care of there. Amen? It's a great opportunity. Second thing, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. You've heard this verse a ton. You've heard all kinds of things. Uh, preaching sermons, you just heard something recently about this, but this just happens to be the best verse that leads into what I want to talk about now. Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 6, 6 through 8. Jesus is getting ready to go back to heaven to turn this whole thing over to 11 guys who have no idea what they're getting themselves into. And they think they're getting one thing. They think they're getting an earthly kingdom with crowns and thrones and all that kind of stuff. And what they don't realize, still don't realize three years later, it has nothing to do with that. But it's it's a heavenly kingdom coming to this earth to change everything, to change everything around them. So in verse 6 it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so, use that many times, to, like I say, to, to talk about many things, including being filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week in, in the, uh, in the uh, uh, doctrine portion of being filled with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on us, we have a power, we receive power to be a witness. And, and that's what we want. We want the power of God. We want the, the Spirit of God to fill us and overpower the, our natural tendencies to, to be shy and to hold back and to not, not reach out. But we want to use the power that He has given us to be witnesses. And then he said, he kind of quantified it, he said, in Jerusalem, which is your hometown, you guys could preach this back to me, you've heard it so many times, you've heard me say this so many times, Jerusalem is our hometown, Judea is our region, so our region uh, that he's given us is the St. Croix River Valley, and we've started churches up and down, the two churches now, but uh, I mean, that's our, our vision, long range, to start, start churches up and down the valley. And then Samaria, Samaria is the place you don't want to go. Wherever that may be. There, and we all have that place we don't want to go. For me, for years, it was hospitals. I hated hospitals. So if somebody got sick, then God, uh, well, God, Satan tried to kill my wife and son. We ended up spending five weeks in a hospital, even living there overnight for a period of time. Now I have no trouble going to hospitals. It's easy. Actually, I, you know, I come and visit and, you know, I know what to say and what not to say. It's wonderful. I mean, so God can do all, anything. He can even take you where you don't want to go and prepare you to minister there. But then there is this place called the uttermost parts of the earth or the ends of the earth. He does want us, and I believe as a Christian, 
to be a well-rounded Christian, we should experience foreign missions. I mean real foreign missions where you actually get on a, a plane or a boat or whatever and you go somewhere that you just, you go out there so far that you are literally, it's just you and God. That's important and we do that here. Okay, and we do that. We do, each of these things that we do. I actually this last couple of weeks uh, did some study on that and did some uh, work, did some work with uh, uh, you know doing what we do here locally. What we do locally here in this church, here in our community, here in your communities, in your own hometowns, we spend about seventy five percent of our time doing that. And I believe that's healthy. That's what we should be doing because that builds a good strong base building up the body of Christ here at home. The valley, working within the region, what I, what I, after putting all these parts in and figuring out how much time we spend doing that, we spend about 10% of our time do, working with uh, uh, the vision of, those, of the St. Croix Valley, helping churches. But what's cool about that, we, we spend about 10% of our time, but the churches there that, that have been planted, they spend 100% of their time. That's what's cool about being able to start churches and it expands, the, the effectiveness expands. And then, to, figured out how much time we spend overseas. This last summer we were there for three weeks. I'm going back over, I, I fly out this afternoon for two weeks. Only going to miss one Sunday. Um, next Sunday is the only Sunday I'm going to miss. But I, we're going to be there for two weeks. going to be doing a conference, plus we're going to be uh, being at Pastor Attila's church for a day or two uh, because it's their 10th anniversary of their church, and they've invited us to come over and be a part of their anniversary. And then Pastor Thomas Lonke, who was here last year for our anniversary, our, our 25th, it's their 15th anniversary of uh, their church. So we're going to be celebrating with them for a few days, for four days at a conference. And so we'll be doing a number of things while we're there. But it's foreign missions. You think, well, wait, wait a second. Why are we spending time, effort, money overseas? Because I believe it's just like any other sowing and reaping situation. When you sow into somebody else's life, when we work primarily in Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe, we've been working with Dan and Marta Lewis, we've been working with Roger and Myrna Eilers when they were there, uh, working with the gypsies in, uh, in Hungary and Romania, working in Poland, doing uh, Belarus with Pastor Pavel and his family who were here last year. All of these different things are primarily Eastern Europe. Now we do do some things in Western Europe, but I believe, you know, here's my heart, has been all the way from the beginning, that God wants to use Eastern Europe to reach Western Europe. You know, everybody, everybody else, it seems like they're pouring time and effort and money into Western Europe, you know, France and, and Switzerland and England and all these places, the ones that are going to Europe. Not many people go to Europe anymore. Do you realize that Europe still has less than 2% of their population, 2% of their population who would, who would call themselves a Christian, a born-again Christian? Less than 2%. That's less than Africa. That's less than a percentage of Asia. It is. I heard somebody say one time, Africa is not the dark, the dark continent anymore. It's Europe. Post-Christian. They, you know, when, when talking to someone there who's not a believer and you ask them, are you a Christian? They go, oh no, we used to do that. That's, we, we, we were past that. They're post-Christian. They're, they need the gospel. But, but they're in a place where they, you know, they've heard it. They've all heard it. They've seen it. They've, you know, okay, yeah, we, my grandfather used to do that. That's fine. They need the gospel preached to them. 
And God, I believe, I've always believed. And it's, you know, somebody said to me, you're, you're, you're just for the underdog. Yeah, I pretty much am. Because that's who God's for. He takes the least, he takes the, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God, God pours into people who shouldn't be the ones who make an impact. And I believe that's, that through, through that foolishness, the wise are put to shame. And that's why even my heart is for the gypsies, for the Romas. Because they have nothing. Absolutely nothing. They are hated. They don't even have a, a home country. You know that there are more gypsies than there are Palestinians? There are millions and millions and millions of gypsies all over the world. And none of them have a homeland. But nobody's fighting for that. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. There's a few people fighting for them. But I'm convinced that it's through the least of the least that God wants to make a huge impact, not only in in Europe, but also the world. And we've been since, uh, well, be 15 years now, uh, this church has been involved in, in going over there, bringing mission teams, bringing support, bringing, bringing financial aid, bringing uh, uh, humanitarian aid, all kinds of things for the last 15 years. And for the last 15 years, we've done it in many different ways. Sometimes we've taken whole teams, large teams over, and done different events, during, uh, doing uh, outreaches and children's services and things like that. We've taken smaller teams, work teams, where we've built things, so on and so forth. Outreaches, I mean, you name it. We've done tons of different things. And two years ago, actually a year and a little less than, than two years ago, um, when Dan and Marta were here for the 25th anniversary, every day we would gather together uh, in the afternoon, a number of us, and it was an open invitation, anybody could come, and a number of you did, uh, would come and we would pray for the different ministries that were represented here. We prayed for Robin Roberts' uh, ministries. We prayed for, for uh, each of the local ministries. We prayed for Pastor Thomas and, and, and uh, Vision Europe. We prayed for Pastor Pavel and Roger and Myrna and, and, and uh, the Pavel, uh, Pav, uh, the Anasovs. We prayed for each one of them each afternoon. And there was an afternoon where we spent time praying for Dan and Marta Lewis. And during that afternoon, it was actually quite significant. It was, a, it was different than the other days. And I don't know why it was that much different, but God does what he wants to do. And that day, uh, we were praying for them. And by the Spirit of God, he actually, the, the Holy Ghost used me to, to begin to minister to them in an unusual way. And... I began to prophesy uh, about them, about for over them, and and uh, about their ministry. And one of the things, because I mean, if you know Dan and Marta's history, one of the things that they had that that Dan had desired was to come home. And they had been there for 15 years in a country where he didn't speak the language. Most of the time, the only person he had to talk to was Marta. And he was, he's awesome. He's a trooper, man. I mean, he, he, did, he worked hard, and he drove, and he did, and, and, and he served. I mean, and it was, and 99% of the time, it was with a, a fantastic attitude and heart. I mean, he just, he was above and beyond. I mean, nobody's perfect, except my wife, but nobody's other than, other than that. <laughs> but he was ready to come home. He was ready to, he's, he's uh, 68 or 69, 68, I think. He's, it's time he wants to come home. He wanted to be home. And so they moved back here and they spent one winter, wimps, they spent one winter here and moved south. 
And if they listen to this on tape, they're wimps. That's all I got to say. You're just wimps. <laughs> then they moved to Florida. I mean, praise God. Wonderful, sunny Florida. But the Lord that day, as, as by the Spirit of God, I was, I was praying for them, ministering over them, and, and the Lord said, you've got one more school to start. And it's like, did I just say that? Dan was like, did you just say that? But they were very excited, whatever God wants to do. They were like, Let, you know, God's will be done. And so from that day, interestingly, from that day on, they didn't just go over and start a new school. They, they began to pray. They began to seek the Lord and said, okay, God, whatever your will is, you let us know. There were a number of specific things that were said during that time of ministry, uh, too many to even sit and, and enumerate, but there was a number of very specific things that were said, and it was all caught on tape. They got a copy of that tape, and they wrote it all down. They, they, they transcribed it. And over the next year and a half, systematically, people from across the country would, would be praying for them and say the exact same things. Just, con, uh, you know, uh, uh, confirmation, confirmation after confirmation of that word. About uh, a little over six months ago, they called me and they said, Pastor John, we need to talk. Is there a time where we can talk that, that you just got plenty of time to talk? I said, sure. So we set up a time and they began to go through what God had been speaking to them for that during that whole year and a half time. And what they said is, we believe we're supposed to go back to Hungary and we we're supposed to start another school. And so last year... Uh, while we were there, we kind of had an inkling of this. We kind of knew there was something in the process. So one day we actually drove around and started looking for land because what's on their heart is to start something where they actually need land for it. And we found a piece of property. And it just seemed absolutely perfect. Now since then, that piece of property is not available, not going to work, but it moved, you to, it moved them down the road to getting to where they are today. And through the a process of prayer, seeking God, just over days, I mean, every day they would sit and pray and seek God as far as what steps do we take, how do we do this, so on and so forth. They, uh, this last summer, when we were there, and here's why it's important to go. While we were there in Hungary, God did a work in my heart. He showed me that what they were doing, because I, I had some questions. I didn't, I wasn't convinced. But while there, it became extremely clear that they are doing exactly what God wants them to do. They're on the right track. And so, at that time, I said, I said, we're here. We're here to help. I'm not going to go there full time. As far as I know, I am not, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have those plans. But I'm, we're here to support them. That's what I see uh, the vision of this church is to send people, maybe even send some people full time, but it's to be a support to who's ever there. So we looked at the land again. The land cost uh, a little over $130,000. But the land itself would not be enough. You would have to build other buildings, dormitories and the such on it. But it was during that trip, during that time, that during a service, God very clearly ministered to them and said, it's now, start now. And they committed in their hearts, yes, Lord, we will begin now. You, if you tell us to, we're in. And, and during that time, the Lord worked on my heart, and I said, we're in. We're, we're here to help you. Now, we, want, we left 
hungry this summer with that in our hearts and that's it that's it that's all that was in it was just that that commitment to do whatever god said to do and that's great with commitment and no money you can have good intentions nothing changes but we were back about five days with that dream in the heart with that that commitment to do whatever god calls calls you to do and we uh we were driving up to staff retreat deb and i actually ethan was driving i was praying in the spirit the whole way up (laughs) and deb's phone rings and the conversation went kind of like this yes hello this is debbie Uh uh-huh sure yep Uh uh-huh yes i remember you yeah we met you know uh uh-huh yep uh sure Uh uh-huh pardon really um i i don't know how to do that I'll learn how. I'll learn how to do that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Oh, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Great. Yeah. We'll be in touch. And hangs up the phone. And then she turns and stares out the window and doesn't say a word. She was in shock. Yes. I went, okay. What was that all about? And she said, do you remember so-and-so? I said, yeah, I know who they are. They don't live around here. They're actually from, a, from out of state, from a long ways. Well, we'd met them years ago. She goes, do you remember so-and-so? I said, yeah. And she said, they just called up. He was sitting in his, in his uh, Lazy Boy watching the football game. God spoke to his heart and said, call Dan and Marta. Ask them if they have a vision in their heart, if there's something that they need. And he says, when they tell you what the vision is, tell them you're going to give them this much money. He called them up and said, you guys have a vision in our heart? And they said, well, yeah, well, here's, here's what it is. And they start sharing what God wants them to do through starting a school, people, you know, bringing kids in. It's a, it's a school of a, it's a vocational Bible training center, life center, training them, basically helping them to see. Because right now, here's the deal. God has a call on the gypsy people. He has a call to do amazing things. But they can't get past the fact that they don't have food right now. They have no vision, none, zero. All they can think about is how do I survive right here, right now. And until they catch a vision, until they see something other than what they've experienced for literally centuries, hundreds of years, family after family, I mean, doing whatever you have to do to survive today, until they see something different than that, they will never be able to take a step outside of, here's what I have right now. They need to see a vision. They need to see a different way to live. And the heart of Dan and Marta is to build a school where, they, where people come and live for a period of time and they see that there is a different way to live, that there is a higher way to live, and that they, God can and then give them the skills to not just get out, but also to sustain being out of that culture. That was where I was having trouble. We're going to go in and mess with their culture. I'm thinking, I don't like that. Until you realize that that culture is hideous. It's a, it's a trap. The, the life, the pattern that they have is they, they, they live every day until they're 18, 17, 18 years old and then they get pregnant and they move in with their boyfriend or their girlfriend and then they have more kids who get into a pattern of... A year ago, 
one of the young girls, was the very first young lady to ever graduate from high school out of that village. By your help, money that we gave, time that we helped with, things that we were a part of, but Dan and Marta were obviously on the front line every step of the way. She She was the first young woman to graduate from high school. And she did so well in high school that the, that, that the government had given her a four-year scholarship to a university. And, and they were gathering money to, to, to help her with all the incidental costs and so on and so forth. She was going to go to college. She decided to do this. And then she got pregnant and she moved in with her boyfriend. And when I saw that, it just, I mean, it, it, Dan and Marta reeled for months because it's like, that close and when we were there this summer we were talking to some of the young people and we we're like okay are you, you know, what's your plans for the future do you want to go to college oh no I don't want to leave this village Why, what's out there for me they can't see that there's something else they can't they don't even know it exists their culture is, is demonic the culture is is, is hell they have to be helped out. The only way they can be helped out is, is something like this. Maybe there's another way, but this is what, what God's put in their heart. And so these people called up and they shared that vision. And the guy goes, I'll give you enough money to buy the property and build the first dorm. Well over $100,000. So it's, in, it's, it's begun. And now, we, you know, the first week we're like, woo, this is awesome, this is amazing, this is fantastic. And then all of a sudden you go, ooh, but we've got to keep the lights on after everything's built. But God has been providing that way. He's, he's put us in touch with some people who are helping us to have a long-range income goal and a way to fund it. But that's what we're doing overseas. When we go to these things, it's not just a, hey, I get two weeks in Europe. I get two weeks in a, in a mud-filled community that smells like sewer thank you Deb (laughs) they're beautiful people though. it's the people that's what we're doing there now here's the deal so the goal is we've done many different things we don't know exactly and here's why I wanted to share all of this today was here's what we've done in the past was to take teams over big teams so on and so forth that may change some. And I just wanted to give that a heads up. We don't know exactly how this is going to work. I can see next year we're actually taking work teams over, doing some building, things like that. But what may happen is we take smaller groups, three, four, five people that have skills. Because what needs to be taught in the school is, number one, English. Mary. And I don't, mean, I don't mean the king's English or the kind of English you didn't pass in high school. I'm talking about conversational English. I love it. I walked into Mary's class, one of the classes she was teaching this summer, and I'm thinking, what does she teach in here? I mean, I'm trying to you know, you know, the, you know, what deep theological truths is she revealing? And she goes, finger, thumb, nose. And I'm thinking, well, of course that's where you start. Where do we start with kids? Same place. 
and she's teaching them. And then you meet the kids that she's been teaching for two, three, four years, and they actually have conversations with you. They're not, you know, super eloquent, but they're having conversations. And that alone, the English alone, if, a, if one of these young people learns English, even conversational English, when they walk in to apply for a job, even a cleaning maid, which they can't get right now because they don't have the skills, they don't know how to clean, number one, that's one of the things you need to teach them. But also, if they can speak English, they go from the back of the line to the front of the line. Because, oh, you can speak English? Then, good, because when our foreign friends come in, then, then you can speak to them. Huge. Talk about something so simple, propelling somebody out of the, out of the C word that wants to come out right now, and I can't, the crap that they're living in. Doesn't seem like much, but it's huge. Teaching them how to clean a room, teaching them how to make a meal that doesn't make people sick. How to wash, how to take a shower every day, how to just life skills, but then teach them a, a, a trade, how to, how to work with bricks, how to, how to cut hair, how to, you know, all kinds of things. Just learning how to clean their bathroom every day will put them in position, give them the skills to work in a hotel, which is better than picking cucumbers for 50 cents a day. We're not talking rocket scientists. We're talking life skills to help them out of the mess they are so then God can then take them, give them a bigger, bigger vision of what he wants to do and propel them into the world. Very simple things that are so easy for us to do. You each have skills that they need. Some of you have carpentry skills here. I see you going over there. Woo! I get excited. Sorry. It's either that or cry, so I'm going to be excited. How's that sound? Some of you just know how to clean a house really well. You could just go and show them how to clean. You could go over there and you, have, you all have skills. Think about how God could use you on a foreign mission field for one week or two weeks out of a summer. And talk, we have all the teaching staff we need just in this room. Okay. So... That's an update of what's going on over there. That's why we go. That's why we're a part of it. And that's the fruit of it. Because 15 years ago, do you know what, you know what the very first outreach into that community was? They went to bring them food because they were starving. The truck was attacked and they just kicked the food off the back of the truck to save their lives. Dan and Martyr are in the back of the truck kicking food out the back of the truck because people were swarming over the truck trying to get the food. That was outreach number one. And now we're talking about people getting an education, growing, not living in just absolute squalor. We're talking about people being, getting jobs in the real world where otherwise, I mean, they've been, they've been hated to this point. God can do anything. Amen? Amen. Amen. Vision. It's good to have vision. Good to see what God wants in your future. Amen? Topic number three. And this is really important. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Here's where it all hits home. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 4. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. If you didn't bring your Bible, write these down real quick. All these verses that we just read. Acts chapter 1, 6 through 8. Acts chapter 4. Whatever that was, somebody tell you. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 through 6. says this, 
For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that he is that he is Christ's. So also are we. I'm sorry. I read. I was looking at a different verse. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And it says, we take every thought captive. In your mind today, there are thoughts that are trying to say that they are more important than the words of Christ. Than the knowledge of Christ. And when I say Christ, I, don't mean, I, I mean Jesus, obviously. But it's the anointing. The anointed one and his anointing. That's what, the, that's what Christ is. That's what the word Christ means. Is the anointed one, who is Jesus Christ, and his anointed. And so there are things that are trying to tell you that the, that the anointing on Jesus Christ is not enough to solve the problem you're in right now. That somehow the problem that you're in is more important, has more power, is going is to destroy you, whereas the power of Christ, the anointing of Christ is saying you are more than conquerors. Every day, every one of us is challenged by those thoughts. And what do I mean by those thoughts? Well, number one, you're not going to make it. You're not going to survive this one. You're not going to survive this one financially. You're not going to survive this one economically. You're not going to survive this one socially. You're not going to survive this because greater is he that's outside of you than he that's inside of you. Which you know is a backwards of what the verse actually says. The actual verse is greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. We're in a war. So we talked about at the beginning. We're in a war. We're in a battle, and it's for our very lives. <clears throat> and for some of us, it's literally for some of our lives. We, our church, has been under attack severely. There are at least, what, three or four of you that are battling cancer right now. There are some of you financially that you feel like you're going down any minute. There are some of you who you have things in your heart that God has told you that you're going to have and you're going to experience and that the world is telling you that's the exact opposite. Some of you are in marriages where you feel like like just one more kick and I'm I'm done. And every second, Satan is reminding you of how feeble your God is. And he's a liar. All the way through this, I've been just seeking God, going, God, what do we need to do? What needs to happen here? I'm tired of this. I'm, t- I'm done with this. And he says, you're in a, <laughs> he says, you're in a war. Why are you surprised that there's bullets flying over your head? 
Why are you surprised that there are wounded among you? What does an army do? What does a fighter do when he's attacked? You fight back. We're in a war. Why are we in a war? Why, why, I mean, okay, yeah, every church around here has somebody who's dying. Yeah, okay. That's what, that's one of the Satan, that's one of Satan's things is, well, you're no different. There's all kinds of people who are dying. There's all kinds of people who are going through financial woe. Go to any church, there's all kinds of people that are, their marriages are falling apart. So why do you think you're anything, this is just normal. No. The difference, you want to know what the difference is? The difference is that we have weapons that are mighty for pulling down of the strongholds. One of the strongholds is, it's just normal. It's okay to live like this. I mean, everybody, everybody has something going on in their life. Oh yeah, I guess. All right, I'll just have to, just have to make it through. Filter, filter, filter. No. The answer is no. We are more than conquerors. We have a covenant with a living God bought by the price of Jesus' blood that says we have a different way to live. And the first thing we need to have is to pull down that stronghold that says, oh, you know, you're just going to have to go through. It's a lot in life. No! No. We're in a fight. The worst thing you can do in a fight is become passive. The moment you become passive, you're a victim. If someone was attacking you physically right now, you can guarantee you I would be all over that person beating the living daylights out of them. But you're a pastor. You shouldn't do that. You should be, you should be passive. No. No. That's a lie. That's a lie. Jesus didn't go to the cross as a victim. <laughs> he went there as a fighter. He went there and he destroyed death. He beat death. He beat sickness. He beat the, the anti-covenant lying spirit of Satan. Why would we lay down and let him walk all over us? It is a fight. One of the things I tell my students, one of the very first classes when they come and, and I, we, we learn self-defense, I said, what is the worst part? What is the, what's the thing that scares you the most about a fight? What is it? You can tell me. Losing? <laughs> yeah. Getting hit. The worst, the thing that people fear the most is getting hit because it's going to bring pain. It's not, you know, I don't, I don't want to be hit. Especially going into a self-defense class, nobody wants to get hit. So what do I do the first class? I hit them. <laughs> Pastor Greg, stand up, please. 
you want to get this? I have no problem hitting somebody with glasses. No problem. I used to be. I used to, but not anymore. Now, I'm, saying, I'm not saying I walk up and I cold cock them. I mean, gracious sakes, they haven't paid the bill yet, okay? Once they pay the bill, we'll deal with that. But what we do is we start with this. Because nobody, nobody likes to get pushed around. And what I tell them is this, don't I, GA? I tell them, smile. Smile and tell me about your day. Put a big smile on. How, how was your day today? Great. Awesome, yeah. <laughs> nobody likes getting pushed around. But if you can get over the fear of getting pushed around, getting hit, then by the time, thank you, kida. Kida means, kida means bow in, in, in Hebrew, honor, kida. If you can get over that, by the time you're an upper level one of my students, I put on gloves. And I put them in pads and I punch them. And you're punching them and they're just going, hey, I had a good day today. Why? Because they're not afraid of getting hit. They realize pain, that's nothing. And what do they learn to do? They learn to hit back. Because if you're so scared and, you're, and you don't want to get hit, the first time you get hit, you freeze. That's the last thing you need to do. The first thing you need when you get hit is we have a principle in Krav Maga. I wasn't planning on preaching about Krav Maga today. We have a principle in Krav Maga. If you get hit once, you hit them four times. If they hit you twice, you hit them six more times. You destroy them. You go through them. You never back up. You do not ever take a step back. Every step you take is forward. And you go straight through your enemy until they change form. And what I mean by change form is when they crumple to the ground. Now you might think, well, that's so violent, Pastor John. You shouldn't be talking about that in church. We have an enemy who's trying to kill you. And that enemy doesn't care about you. They don't care if you're pastor. They don't care. They just hate you, not because you're you, but because you look like Jesus Christ. They hate you. He hates you. He will do whatever it takes to destroy your life. And if you stand passively by, you will be destroyed. But we have weapons. We have weapons. And what's the weapons? The weapons is the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? We've been going through doctrinally who Jesus Christ is. We've been talking about doctrinally about what we have. We have made a covenant. He made a covenant with us that if we're ever in trouble, He's there for us. Ready to fight. All the resources of heaven are His and He's given them to us. He says we're brothers, we're family, and, he, and we're family forever. And if you're ever in a fight, I'm the first one you, that needs to be there. I'm the first one who's, do you call? I'm here. I'm in. And I don't lose. I am tired of this. I am tired of the body of Christ getting kicked around. I am tired of people. Well, (sighs) 
everything from cancer to anything else that tries to raise itself up. There is nothing impossible to God. Nothing. But what it takes is the body of Christ rising up and saying, we're not taking it anymore. We see our brothers and our sisters around us going through stuff, dying, being, being attacked daily. And I'm telling you, they're not dead yet. And until they're dead, we keep fighting. Now, perspective. And this isn't a perspective of, of giving an inch to Satan. But the other day, Deb, when I picked Deb up from, from the women's uh, Bible study, she shared with me what she had said. I'm, I'll just share it and you tell me if I was wrong. And the, and the women here who were there, you can, you can, you can tell me too. Because she shared it with the women's group. Here's the deal. Sue's going through cancer right now. And by every physical sign, she's getting worse. And that morning, Deb was getting ready for the meeting, and the Holy Spirit reminded her of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were being sentenced to dying in a fiery furnace. And sentence was pronounced on them, you're going to die. You're going to die in that fiery furnace. And they said something extremely profound that we all need to memorize, get in that scripture, read it, and understand it. They said, whether we live or die, God is still God. Okay, I love that. That is a perfect place to start from. Because one of the things that we're the most afraid of is that somebody's going to die. We don't even want to say it out loud. Because, well, what if they die? What if I pray for them? Remember we talked about this last week or the week before? What if I pray for them and they die? That's not the question. The question is, how many times can I hit Satan before anything else happens? They said whether we live or whether we die, God is still God. Okay. I've had to say that for myself. One time I was laying on the ground, just got shocked with 220 volts in a foreign country, on a mission field. Oh, great. Why in the world? I'm, I'm lying there. Nobody, just one of those goofy things. I get hit with, I grab a microphone and a microphone and 220 volts. I still have the burns on my hands where it happened. Everything goes white. All I hear is... And I hit the ground just happens to knock one of them because my hands had frozen around the microphones. I couldn't let go. Hits the microphone free. I'm laying there going, wow. <laughs> 220 volts across my chest. One of the first people that got there was, was Tommy O'Dell. If you, if you know who Tommy, Tommy O'Dell is, is uh, help me, T.L. Osborne's grandson. Tommy comes over, looks at me, he goes, You'll laugh about this someday. <laughs> Thanks for the words of encouragement, man. But see, he knew something. He knew that greater is he who is in us than he that's in the world. And if I died because 220 volts go across my chest, we win! But if I get healed, we win! 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had no idea whether they were going to survive or not. As far as they knew, they were going to die in that fire. When those guys threw them in, they died. Not, not Shadrach, the, the guards who threw them in died from the heat of the furnace. And they went in and they started walking around. And they came out not even smelling like smoke. I don't know what your situation, I don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. You may die. You may lose everything. But in the bottom, at the, the end of all of it, we win. Why not fight on the way down? Why not swing? Why not, why not keep punching? One of the things that we teach our students is we do sit-ups. And when we do sit-ups, every time we are laying on our back, every time we come up, we punch. And I tell them, I said, why are we doing this? And they go, I don't know. And I said, you need to be able to fight from any position, even flat on your back, with only the power to sit up one more time, you keep swinging. Christians, historically, have been wimps. As a mass. Now, you got the ones that you hear the, straight, the great stories about. You hear the ones about the great perseverance, the great miracles, the great deliverances. And you also hear about the ones who died, but they had great deaths. Let's be them. Let's keep fighting. What do we do now? How do we make this real? Here's the deal. There's a dozen people right now who are going through some major stuff in their life. And I'm just talking about the major ones. Vern Norton isn't here this morning. I'm, I'm just... God, that makes me mad. Not about him. Two weeks ago, he's 71 years old. He just had his 71st birthday. Two weeks ago, he came up to me and he, he, he was having trouble. He goes, hey, he says, I, I, I threw my back out. He says, I don't know what happened. He says, I was lifting a, a height of bed up a flight of stairs to bring to a family who didn't have any furniture. I threw my back out. He called me three days ago and he says, John, he says, it's worse. I haven't slept for two days. The doctor can't fix it. He can't get in line. I can't go on this mission trip. He was supposed to be flying out with me this afternoon. That ticks me off. Sue can't be here this morning because she's, so, she, she's in so much pain she can't get out of bed. Some of you financially feel like you have been beat around the head and shoulders. It's not God doing it to you to teach you some lesson on how to trust Him more. No, it's the devil trying to kill you. It's time to fight. It's time for us as the body of Christ to rise up, surround them, and fight. What does that mean? What does it mean we have to rise up? You know, it may mean we have to do some things that we don't, aren't used to doing. This morning I got up and I was going to finalize my sermon. I was going to write it all down. I sat down and, and just this wave of, don't waste your time. That's not what you're going to talk about. Then I said, well, what am I supposed to do? He says, sit there and pray. So I spent my whole morning. It's not what I planned on doing this morning. I had to pack. He said, seek me. Just seek me. And out of that came this sermon. We need to seek God. What can you do? What do you need to do? For some of us, we may have to do some extreme things. He might lead you to fast and pray for a week. Are we ready to do that? He may cause, he may ask you to go sit at the bedside of somebody who can't, who can't get up and to help them. But wait a second, I had plans this week. Yeah, that, that's true, you have plans this week. I didn't want to go on this trip. I told Deb this morning, last night I was in a terrible mood. And this morning I'm going, what is the deal with me? I'm in a terrible mood, I'm just, I'm mad. And I realized I don't necessarily want to go on this trip, but there are some people over there that need what I have, what God's given me to give out. 
So I now I have to leave my family and go do this. You might have to do some stuff to get outside. We, as the body of Christ, it's time for us not to just sit and go, gee, I hope something good happens for them. No, it's time for us to stand up and fight. I don't know. I'm not going to give you a list of things that we need to do. You need to seek God and say, okay, God, what do I need to do? What's my part to play in this? What is my job? Not what do I need to get. Lord, what is, what, that's right. What, am I, what, what do I need? No. Lord, what is my part to fight? Maybe you're going through a terrible time. Maybe you're going through a, a moment of, of, of sickness or, or pain or, or loss. And the very thing you need to do is get up and fight for somebody else. Because when you fight for somebody else, God says when you sow seed into somebody else, you will reap what you sow. So if you sow some fight into somebody else's life, my guarantee, my guess is you're going to reap some. Maybe somebody will come fight alongside you, or maybe God will just take care of it himself. The body of Christ, this time we're in a fight. Why are we in a fight? Because we're actually believing this stuff. We're actually believing that God is who he says he is, that he wants to do what he says he'll do, and we believe that his word is true and that it's for us. If we weren't believing that, yeah, people would die and people would just, you'd be living your life, that's great. But we don't have to. It's time. It's time for us to rise up as the body of Christ, to take our place and to start fighting for each other. Instead of fighting with each other. We need to fight for each other. What do I need to do, God? Show me what I need to do. He's not going to ask you to solve everybody's problem. But he could ask you to do something for somebody. I don't know what. I'm not going to even throw one example out there. I don't know. But you need to see God. I need to see God. It, it, it took me a while. I was, I was reeling. I was reeling because I'm seeing these people keep get, getting hurt, keep getting beaten up. I'm thinking, God, what are we supposed to do? And, and all, this morning he's like, fight! So I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to fight. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's stand with these people. And whatever the outcome is, maybe you're standing with somebody for their business and it doesn't work out the way you had prayed for it. That's all right. You get hit once, hit four times back. If you get hit twice, hit six more times. You don't stop swinging. You don't stop swinging as long as you have breath in your, in your body and you have eyes to see. You keep swinging. Even if you're blind, keep swinging. Amen. Amen. What I want to do is I know there's some people who need it this morning. You need your, you know who you are. You're like, that's it. I need, I, I, need, I need people to stand with me. I want you, don't, there's, this, is, this is zero time for any kind of pride, any kind of shame, any kind of anything. You need to stand up right now because God wants to bring people around you to stand with you. Stand up right now. Ricky, come on up. I had something. Let me see. Let me see the bottom of it. He'll, ca- he'll catch up to you. There it is. Okay. I had something happen this week that I know to Pastor John and Pastor Greg wouldn't be important, but... One of the animals in the house I'm living in disappeared. It's a cat, isn't it? <laughs> yes. 
he disappeared very suddenly. I was the one that let him outside. Um, and we've looked and we've waited and we've hunted through the neighborhood. And I prayed and prayed because I learned to love the little creature in the year I've lived there. And anyway, as I was praying, and it fits so with what you're talking about, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you need to be prepared because in the world we're moving into, this will be happening all around you. There will be, whatever comes, there will be people that just will suddenly be gone because of what's going on. And we need to be ready and have our hearts prepared to stand as you're talking about. Amen. And that's so what, what you said this morning so fits with the struggle I've been in. Amen. Amen. Look around. Look around the, the folks that are standing right now. What I want to do is I want you, we're gonna, I'm going to have the worship team go back into worship. And what I want you to do is this. I want you just to feel led. Just, have, just ask God, who am I supposed to help be with? Who am I supposed to stand with right now? I'm not saying six for the next year. I'm not talking about, I'm saying for this morning. Who am I supposed to stand with? Who am I supposed to be around? Who am I supposed to, 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 to support right here, right now? And every day we need to ask that. So what I want you to do is I want you to look around just as they begin to pray or as they begin to play, as they begin to sing. I want you just to find somebody to stand with. Stand with them, lay hands on them, do whatever God leads you to do. You, you have the Spirit of God in you. It's time for the body to minister. It's time for the body to fight. And maybe God will put them on your heart for the, to, to, to minister to this week. I don't know. That's up to it's between you and God. But I want to give action to this opportunity. So look at those that are around you. You can go from one end of the room to the other. It doesn't matter. You, just, you go where God leads you to go, to stand with who God leads you to stand with. They're going to go into music here. have you guys step out into the aisleway so it's easier for people to get around you and by you kind of give yourself some space you can be in the front here you guys can be up here in the front and I want you to gather around these folks let's do that I'm going to have the worship team go ahead I'm actually going to dismiss service I'm going to dismiss service right now if you need to head out that's great we're going to take as long as we need we